You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Hot on the heels of E3, San Diego Comic-Con, PAX, is now Gamescom. It's going on right now. And anybody who follows conventions for gaming knows Gamescom is one of the largest. It might actually be the largest when you look at pure numbers. It is held in Germany, and you always have some fantastic news previews and everything coming out of there. Now, we're not going to touch base on everything that's happened to date, simply because we're actually, we were a little bit behind in terms of news because we had our uh, our D&D episode last week, which in and of itself was <laughs> late as well. But we're going to cover some of that next week. For this week, we will cover a little bit of the interesting news we have picked up from Gamescom and move on with a ton of other news that we wanted to cover as well. Let's start with that Dark Souls 3 trailer. Holy Christ, does that ever look gorgeous? <laughs> The thing is, is I don't know if I would play it because I never finished the other two. So I look at this and go, that's probably going to be the same thing. But shit, does it ever look good? Well, the interesting thing about that is it's it's actually by the it's not the same team that did Dark Souls 2 because it was a different team that did Dark Souls 2 and then did Dark Souls 1 and Demon Souls. This is the same team that did those two games, which were far better. The one that caught my attention the most, of course, was Quantum Break. And we got the trailer that was part of the Microsoft presser, which we'll probably cover more of next week, depending. But that Quantum Break trailer was ridiculous. Well, it wasn't just trailer. It was actually gameplay footage as well. So you really got to see how the game is going to be handling. And maybe it's because of... of um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Life is Strange right now, mm-hmm. where that kind of time displacement mechanic I'm enjoying right now. So I'm in that frame of mind that, yeah, this is actually pretty cool. And when you look at the manner in which the game plays and whatnot, um, I really like the gameplay. I like the look of it, the feel of it, just from what you can see, and that time displacement to be able to run around different objects as they're coming and whipping around you kind of thing, Matrix style. It was really, really, again, it was crazy graphics. The acting was spectacular. You got uh, Sean Ashmore playing the hero, Jack Joyce. That's the dude who plays Bobby. You probably know him best in the X-Men movies. And a whole bunch of other actors, too, you'll recognize when you see it. But the the work that went into it and then showing off as well that tie-in with the TV trailer kind of thing. I'm really excited for, for this game, actually. I, I'm i not saying that's going to be the one that makes me buy the system, but I did subscribe to live so I can start getting some of those free <laughs> games. So who knows? I might have it by the time this comes out. This thing looked gorgeous. This has been my most hotly anticipated Xbox game for about two years now, I think. <laughs> I the combat really didn't grab me, but all the other stuff, like the the time skips once you got into that warehouse, like, I know it's a game I'm going to love. So I'm I'm really keeping my eyes on it. That stuff in the warehouse where they do, you kind of get to see the origin of 
you know, that the catalyst that caused all of this. And I liked how they were showing that as a in-game device to show you the lore of whatever game you're in mm-hmm. kind of thing. I thought that was super interesting. Like we, we can look at a game like Destiny, which we're going to talk about later, that justifiably has very, very cool lore, just tells it in really shitty ways. And then you look at this kind of thing where they use the mechanics of the game to engage you in this story and it really got my attention and I can see it being something that there's a lot of mystery to and that it it has that thriller feel where you're just kind of edge of your seat leaning over a little bit. Mm -hmm. So let's move on from there. Another trailer that came out that was freaking cool as hell was the new Dragon Age Inquisition trailer for the the Descent DLC. Vince, I'll let you take this. Yeah, this one just popped up today and I'm really respecting bioware strategy of here's an awesome trailer you can play it next week because it comes out on august 11th so that's pretty exciting but a lot of people kind of had that cringe moment of you're going back to the deep roads (laughs) but i mean it just looks it looks beautiful fantastic like you're going deeper into the deep roads than any previous dragon age game has because apparently the dark spawn are up to something caving in tunnels and whatnot that is threatening to destabilize the surface of thetis itself so they haven't gotten into any of the specifics of you know what the big bad is just uh, you're going to go down there, you're going to fight a bunch of Darkspawn, you're going to have a blast, and I'm assuming something really big and really cool is waiting for you at the bottom because we've already fought an Archdemon. We fought Corypheus, which is, you know, the Darkspawn of all Darkspawn. I don't know where they can go from there, but I have high hopes. And when in the tweet that revealed the trailer, Bioware said, this is also the largest single dungeon they have ever designed for Dragon Age. And I love me some dungeons. Wasn't, wasn't, and this is a question that I, I, and my brain may be a little fuzzy when it comes to Dragon Age. Wasn't in the original game, wasn't there a story about how the Darkspawn were born of like a dragon that was even bigger than the Darkspawn dragon from the first game? Like the blood of that dragon. Wasn't that part of the books? I never read the book, so I'm not sure. That doesn't sound familiar, but it's possible that I just forgot. Yeah, I know a lot of what they went into with Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition was it was uh, Tevinter Magisters that tried to get into heaven and were cast out and made into immortal evils. Because I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we're going to find something along those lines, like just a big nasty of, hi, you tried to fuck with magic and this is what happened. And oh, by the way, the Darkspawn are trying to wake it up. Have fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's some sort of unspeakable Cthulhu-like entity down there. <laughs> I actually was pretty impressed with the look of the Deep Roads, what they did to it. Because that was my initial thought, too. It was like, oh, crap, that was so dark and, and It's going to be your stupid. basic dwarven architecture with a pit that you walk over. Yeah, but no, it looked gorgeous with the fluorescent kind of moss and stuff all over the place. It it really looked great. And then when it opened up to some of the other areas where it was kind of alluding to a surprise of some sort kind of thing, it almost looked like a, you know, entire world under there so i'm curious big enough for the, so anyways uh moving on from there though but sticking with bioware well rather bioware devs there's a kickstarter from some former bioware devs for a game called mooncrest joe i'll let you take this 
So this is an interesting one, right? Uh, Mooncrest is one of those games that is supposed to be going back to the roots of gaming for those that are popular, where it's talking about intricate puzzles that actually make you think a deep story as well as deep interactions in a single-player format. Uh, it actually, when this came up on my radar, I hadn't even heard of it until Roger said something. Mm-hmm. Then I started looking at it, and there are a lot of cool concepts that they want to do here. Yeah. Now, the first thing is it has a very Xena warrior princess style vibe where you have one main companion that you interact with. Like you, you play <laughs> Your main character is a paladin of a holy order that has a very strict dogmatic view of the world. Did, you meet a did, lovable street urchin. Hold on, hold on. Did you pick up on the jab on the multiple companions yes, in the Kickstarter? <laughs> I'm reading that I was, and it was, I was like, oh, dude. I was actually getting to that. <laughs> But then you meet this lovable street urchin who makes you question your your sort of your your views and, and explore yourself as a character as you interact with the world and see how she interacts with the world. And they did make that wonderful little jab where they talk about having one very deep, connected relationship with the character as opposed to multiple shallow contacts. That was a hell of a dig. Yep. I'm not sure how I feel about that, actually. Well, you know, the thing is, is that, I mean... They're taking a jab at their former employer, obviously. Sure. But Bioware does a good job with having multiple companions, and you can have then a choice of stories. I can appreciate what they're saying about the one that's really important. I mean, you see that in a lot of different games, and there's well, something to be said for yeah. it. Look, look at Last of Us, right? That's exactly what I was thinking. And I, and I have to imagine that that's probably some of the pull for it because Last of Us is one of those games where we abs- anybody who's played it from that I know has absolutely loved it, and it's that classic interaction of the main character and this one one companion that you just grow to love over time and know. I'm okay with that being a thing that happens in single player games. I'm completely okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just going to depend on how they define that deepness of relationship. That's going to be the tricky part because there's ways to do that right and there are ways to do that wrong. Um, if they try to go the overly fluffy romantic route and try to be heavy handed with it, I'm not sure it's going to work well. If it's one of those natural progressions of breaking a person's view and expanding their horizons, I can see it. From what I read, it did sound like they do have a good grasp of it. Like that that jab notwithstanding. Sure. They they do have the experience that they're bringing to the table of all of these games that do have companions. So that would lead me to believe that they're going to take everything that was great about, you know, having companions, filter it down to its core for just one character and then kind of make it so that there's a much more dynamic gameplay mechanic between the two characters. And you see that when they talk about how your that mm-hmm. outcast's abilities and whatnot are going to be affected by you and the kind of paladin that you are. To me, that's actually fairly cool. Oh, it definitely is. It's, uh, I want to see how Piratose or Piratase, whatever, uh, and your character, how those interactions work as you level and grow. Uh, which also leads to one of the other cool things that I found out about this game is that the social interactions, every social interaction you have, at least is what they're saying, uh, is that these are going to be cinematic conversations uh, so that every single time you're interacting with another character in Mooncrest, uh, it's going to be a cinematic experience where you make choices that control the tone and flow of dialogue. Uh, 
Um, I think they're trying to pull a little bit of the uh, star, star, star like uh, Star Wars a little bit to yep. me when mm-hmm. when they're talking about that, which I'm completely okay. with I am as well so all right with that. Yeah, I am so freaking because it's the same kind of thing as in Mass Effect as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look at that and see that every single interaction, for the most part, is zooming in, and it's a you're talking to them, and you have your choices and whatnot. So I'm assuming again. I mean, these are the people who worked on those games, so I'm thinking it's going to be incredibly similar to that. So. And we love that gameplay. Absolutely. And then from there, they wanted to talk a little bit about the combat, which is also very interesting because they're they're choosing to go with a, as we've just talked about this game, a Dark, Soul, Dark Souls style combat uh, where it's very reflexive and twitchy and you need to use the environment uh, as well as not be afraid of the giant living mountain that's trying to smash your face. Uh, which is kind of cool because I actually like that about Dark Souls, and it's something mm-hmm. that I think most more games should have. Dangerous combat, bigger combat, things that feel more epic. I like that idea. Yeah, I'm okay with the Dark Souls style of combat as long as you also don't have the Dark Souls style of punishment. Sure. Yeah, yeah if, as long as it's not completely stupidly hard. So at the end of the day, this is still, you know, at least on the surface, a story-driven RPG, not a you know, masochistic exercise in combat. But think about what we're getting though. If it is in fact going to be not that punishing, but that style of combat, mm-hmm. we're going to get something that's in the style of, again, whether it's a mass effect or that kind of deal with the, with story wise and the cinematic acting and things like that. But with this insanely good combat system as yeah, well, it's also going to be fun to play. There's, there's good stuff when you're not talking to people. Yeah. Yeah, so this is yeah, there's a lot of things about this that I love. So did you do you guys catch the part where this was actually originally a Neverwinter Nights mod? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I thought that was very, very interesting because those mods were among my favorite back in those days. Uh for good reason. They were fantastically written mods. They were great great games built in the Neverwinter engine. And I didn't realize that they were supposed to be a trilogy of which the third mod was never released. Yeah, see, that's Rick Burton made those, and he's one of the four founding mm-hmm. members of this company working on this now. So, again, it gives you an idea that they know what they're doing. We've got some pretty impressive talent coming from Bioware side. And then you've got the guy from who's mainly a pen and paper uh, oh, gamer, yeah. Jeff Vizgaitis, I think, or something like that. And he's more of a, a pen and paper role-playing background. So there's a lot of cool coming from this sadly their freaking video is horrible <laughs> yeah. but oh, it's, the, the kickstarter itself it's so is not bad. terribly impressive <laughs> i'm really hoping that video doesn't hold them back because seriously i'm watching this and joe and i were talking about it afterwards too and i'm saying i wish it hadn't because they're doing all these these good things by having these strong female lead characters but then they had to tell us they had to explain that they're doing these good things by having two women talking about gaming and things that they would like to game and then having these four men who are sitting there and they'll take care of making the game that these women want to play. And I was like, oh, come on, guys. You had the chance to come out smelling so good here, but instead you're going, hey, guess what? Look at, look at, we're being good. We're being good. I also like the uh, the poignant picture that they had of, on the Kickstarter of all of them in the game store with Firefly very prominently visible in between two of the devs and and things like that. <laughs> I thought that was uh, the very interesting choice on their part. Hey, we also like thing you like. We we like all the things you like. We are in game store with our laptops working. Yeah. 
That being said, <laughs> I do encourage folks to check it out. It's called again Mooncrest. Look it out on Kickstarter, and oh, I, I've already backed it. I I haven't yet, but that's because I'm trying to decide which tier kind of thing. Sadly, like they've got a bunch of different tiers and some options, but none of them are really that appealing to me. I'll probably mm-hmm. get just the lowest one. That's what I did. I went for, I went for my twenty five dollar option. Yeah, I will get this game, and I yeah. will be happy with that. Yeah, because it it looks damn good. Uh, speaking of again, Star Wars in the Old Republic, we got a little bit of news with uh, with that. Well, we got news which I don't think anybody saw coming for a complete overhaul of freaking Knights of the Old Republic Two, a game that's more than ten years old. They've updated the resolution; you can now even play it at four K or five K, which. I've installed it. I just haven't had time to test it out because my youngest daughter got married over the the, the weekend. And so I just haven't had time to to play. But I will be at 5K. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) You know, I'm actually, I'm not surprised by this because it's one of those things that I think every nerd I know has has played this game on a cycle, right? Like it's one of those games you play like once a year or so or or every so often. Not and necessarily KOTOR 2. <laughs> no, like KOTOR and KOTOR 2. I know people that go through the entire set. No joke. I'm not surprised because there are apparently a lot of people that do that. That did originally surprise me. Them redoing it, not not as big of a surprise as I expected it to be. Well, I, like I said, I did install it and I will I will be playing through it. I, I actually, and I resubbed for the Old Republic so that I could get the freaking companion. And they changed the date, the bastards. <laughs> oh, look, we didn't get enough people. Let's just extend this date. Screw you. Smart enough. But anyways, I, I'm still glad I got it. I just wish I could play it. But sadly, Windows 10 is being a freaking idiot. And, well, more so actually AMD and the drivers. But I digress. Window or uh, Star Wars: The Old Public got also an update with three point three, and they are allowing now you can play the Togruta race, which is the one that um, Asaka plays in Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And you can also get now the Yavin Stronghold, which is yet another massive temple. Like it actually looks really. <laughs> I, I'm kind of mocking it, but I'm also I watch a video and ooh, that's nice. <laughs> I put said, a they said there. the stronghold itself is the size of all of the playable areas in Tatooine combined. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, I loved it. I'm, I'll probably pick it up if it goes on sale. I already picked up the Togruta race. I managed to get like a little bit of game time before I upgraded to Windows 10. So I got to play for a tiny bit and I made my Togruta up and it was it was pretty cool. So I am looking forward to getting back into the Star Wars kind of mentality. Then we got... A crap load of news as well for Destiny. Of course, we got the hype train going right now with the Taken King that's going to be coming out in September. So we got a bunch of new news coming from that. In terms of the raise level cap is going to be 40. They're going to be restructuring the entire progression system. This is actually huge because yeah, they're not going to be using light anymore. So if, if anybody has never played the game, picture if you were playing WoW and you get to 95 but in order to get to 100, it's all reliant on the gear that you get, and the gear will have a special feature, which in this case is called light. And the more light it has, the more the higher level you then progress until your gear is what dictates if you are level 100, not your experience. I I never had a problem with it. I never I reached. I kind of liked the light concept. So did it was I. So unique. Yeah, exactly. It didn't. It's not something that I went. Oh, I hate this because it means I have to get gear. It's like one of those. Ah, screw it. That's what it is. And, and it really only factored in if you wanted to do like the bleeding edge of content. Exactly. 
so it was it was cool. I liked it because it was different. But no, they're they're dropping that and they're going to a strictly all experience based leveling thing now. Which eh, whatever. And then as you level up, you'll unlock different abilities to use new weapons and and armors and things like that. So they are also going to be pissing off a lot of people who work really hard to get exotics because they are going to be considering everything that's in the game now as year one content that they're not going to be upgrading. And then they're going to be introducing a crop load of new gear for you with the Taken King. So and then there's also going to be a one time boost that's going to shoot you to a level that is poised quote unquote to go into the expansion they don't really say what that is but whatever and there was this freaking epic trailer if that trailer does not make you want to play this yeah. game i don't know what will the, the trailer has me climbing aboard the hype train myself yeah that trailer was <laughs> epic epic and then the other big news of course is that they are replacing peter dinklage so we won't have the Dinklebot anymore. Nolan North is going to be recording everything. And it's funny when I heard Even this, going back and re-recording exactly. everything from the they original game. are wiping Dinklage off the Destiny map. Which you know, I have to wonder, is he pissed off about that? Is he like, fuck you guys, I did what you wanted. I'm, I'm sure he, I, when they came to him about season two, he's like, did you hire new writers? <laughs> No, I have to read that crap again. No, forget thank it. Yeah, you. I don't know what they did. And the other thing too is, I, I was talking to somebody about it, and I was saying, like, you know, I, I'm glad that they got somebody good to to do it, and they're replacing it. Whatever. Although there was a little bit of an attachment at this point, even though it's horrible with Dinklebot, there just is. But I was thinking, you know, it'd be nice. And I've I've heard other voice actors on Twitter as well saying the same thing, like, spread the love, get other voice actors to do the work. It doesn't always have to be Nolan yeah. North doing all the freaking worth. And, and I love him. He does a great voice, but it'd be nice if they spread it out a little bit and get somebody else to do it. Yeah. I've heard that Troy Baker guy doesn't get much work. There's yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving on to uh, Lego dimensions. It, we get a little bit more information about what they're going to be doing for some different kind of, they're calling them adventure worlds and there's going to be 14 of them. They're independent of the main story and you can just kind of free world, go around, do whatever you want. The first three are going to be themed. One of them around Disney or DC and then the other one around the Lord of the Rings and the other one around the Lego movie. And they're going to be done in such a way that if you feel like, like they said, if you want to go around as Homer in the Lord of the Rings area, you can, and you can do whatever you want. And then they're, they're also working on a Ghostbusters level pack. That's going to go in again. The, the, the more I hear about this, the more I want to play it. But then the more I hear about it, the more I'm scared about the ultimate cost of, of, of getting all of this. It's yeah. at the point now where I don't want to know anymore about it. Although I will say that they're doing a really good job at taking a bunch of digs at uh, the limitations of like Disney Infinity. And oh, absolutely. Like because I mean, Disney Infinity, like the, the whole, the Homer in Lord of the Rings, like that's, that's a Disney Infinity dig right there. Like breaking that limitation is huge as far as making people want to play your game, at least that are into this type. And they had me at Ghostbusters. I mean, honestly, once I started seeing that, like there's there's no doubt in my mind this will be in my house, one hundred percent. I just want the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man figure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to a crap load of freaking Bethesda news, Vince. I'm going to let you tackle all of this. Yeah. So as we learned at E3, Bethesda is launching their own 
internet portal to all of their games called Bethesda Net. And it came out a couple weeks ago with a handful of articles. And I have to say, first of all, I like the site. It's smooth. It looks nice. And there's not a great deal of content there right now, but it's it's interesting. Like even them kind of rehashing some of the E3 stuff was still interesting to me because they have a sense of what it means and where it's going that no other site does. Like they, they can tease better than any other website can because they know all the secrets. And uh, one of the big ones they launched with was the Who is Emily Caldwin feature where they used uh, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff from E3 of talking with the, the developers. And I'm actually... I, all three of us are already hyped for Dishonored 2, but I have to admit oh, yeah. I'm really liking how they're approaching this of having the two main characters. They say the opening act of the game, the first 20 or 30 minutes or so, you're going to be playing as Emily, you know, getting to know her and her place in this new world that she finds herself in. And then you'll reach a point where you can choose between Emily or Corvo, and that's it. You're locked into that choice for the rest of the game, which I actually really like because it makes Emily and Corvo that much more unique. They're not going to be interchangeable. You know, they're each going to have their own presence in the story and in the world. And it's not just going to be Corvo and female Corvo. Like, that's really important to me that they're going to be distinct characters with, I would assume, distinct gameplay paths as well. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to but now, of course, that means you have to play through the game four times instead of two. You know what? I'm okay with that. I'll do it. <laughs> I, I will accept this burden. And they started talking a bit more about how Emily's powers are different from Corvo's, where, of course, Corvo has the blink ability. And they started talking about the weird little shadow whip thing that we've seen Emily using called the far reach ability. And like, yeah, you can use it to, you know, hook onto a roof and climb up or, you know, swing to a wall. Or you can use it to grab enemies and launch them into your knife. At... Yeah, yeah, I want legit. that. Yeah, okay, you got me. <laughs> if you didn't somehow have me before, but you do now. <laughs> and then a whole bunch of stuff they also had on Fallout. Uh, announcing the Fallout Anthology, which is uh, Fallout, Fallout 2, Fallout Tactics, Fallout 3, and Fallout New Vegas in an awesome little atomic bomb case. <laughs> Did you guys see that somebody printed, did a 3D print of the uh, the Pip-Boy? No. Yeah. They were like, screw buying the collectors. They're all sold out <laughs> anyways. Here's how you print it. I was like, ooh, I'm just going to save this for the day I need it. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think I'll still rather pay the $100 for the collector's edition versus the $400 plus material for 3D printing it. <laughs> well, I'd be printing other things with my printer too, not just a Pip-Boy. Come on, Joe. Think of all the minis you can print. You could print uh, all yeah, of the minis. <laughs> I could become a mini distributor for you. Oh, that's true. We can go into before the lore business. For the lore minis. Get a free Sir Reginald with every purchase over forty nine ninety nine. No, no, you get a free Robin. You gotta pay free for Robin. Sir Reginald. A free Robin, yes. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> I could see the shrink wrapping. <laughs> Sir Reginald and comes with a Robin and she's got her frying pan in her hand. <laughs> <laughs> little stats with an arrow pointing to the frying pan. <laughs> Why is this original figure eight feet tall and the narrator is two inches? What the hell? Okay. Oh, God. Okay. So moving on to Fallout, you were talking about it. <laughs> yes. They also had a nice article about Fallout 4 uh, titled Why Details Matter. And they talked about 
how much time they spent putting every little imaginable detail into Fallout 4. And that's something we've seen through the trailers of every weapon customization is unique and detailed in its own right. You know, if, like I said, if it's a piece of pipe welded to the top of a gun, it's going to look like a piece of pipe welded to a top of a gun. And it's going to work like a piece of pipe welded to at the top of a gun. But, you know, how they've said all of the crazy 50s sci-fi computer consoles it's not just set dressing. Like there's an actual plan as to how all those little lights and switches are supposed to work. Doesn't matter one bit from a gameplay standpoint. But as I said, they wanted to make the world feel as much as a real living world as possible to get you, the player, into that world so that when they then disrupt that world with enemies or you know atomic bombs or what have you, you feel it just as much as the inhabitants do. And that's... That's a really strong goal to strive for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's understanding that you have to be invested in your environment. And if you're not, then the game doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You can't just cut and paste. Exactly. And they even said that they have an actual weather system. Not, okay, at 4.24 p.m. in this area, it's going to start raining. No, there's an actual weather system that can blow in radioactive storms from the ocean and just wreck entire areas of the game world. That's insane. That's I think that as time goes on now, we're at a point where developers have the coding to make that happen more now. I mean, we don't have to look any further than um than oh god damn it. No man's land. To see how procedurally generated AI can really take care of a lot of stuff now. So putting like this here where you're putting the weather system into the hands of you know, procedurally generated AI, you can come up with some fairly cool stuff now. And I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that now in games. Mm -hmm. But of all the articles on Bethesda net, the one that appealed to me the most was the fallout shelter do's and don'ts article. (laughs) (laughs) I actually didn't read that one because it's not working on my iPad. Really great tips again from the people who made the game. So they know it better than anyone else will. Because uh, I think the Android version comes out next week. (laughs) So I'm now very invested in uh, learning as much about this game as I can really quickly. (laughs) I've been waiting it to patch because it's screwed up on my iPad and it wouldn't open up anymore. So I lost whatever my save was. I'm going to have to just reinstall it. But then I'm leery about doing that until they patch it because I don't want to lose my save again. (laughs) I care about my shelter people. You didn't even name them. Bob and Margaret had just had their baby girl. (laughs) I was there for the wedding. It was a shotgun wedding. What can I say? Literally. (laughs) Outside of Bethesda Net, we also got a bunch of uh, great Fallout news. uh, Really diving into a lot of the character customization and options that you're going to have in Fallout 4. Of course, being a Fallout game, the special system returns. But with an interesting tweak now of when you first create your character and, you know, you have the seven stats that you can put your points into. How many points you put into each stat then determines which perks you have access to as you level up later on. And what I really liked is, okay, you put eight points in strength, you'll have access to these eight strength-based perks. You won't have access to the other two because that's just not how your character works. But what I really like is it's not you have to buy the first one and then the second one No, no. if you want to jump straight to the eighth skill in the tree, go for it. So there's a lot more customization involved here. 
They say there's 275 total different unlocks between uh, perks and weapon skills and hacking and that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of different ways you can build your characters. Yeah, and that's, awesome. that's that's what I love about Fallout is just trying out ridiculous different character builds and seeing how they work. Yeah. They talked some more about a new companion that you're getting, Piper. She is a reporter for what passes for a newspaper in post-apocalyptic Boston and talking about how she's really going to impact the story because being the investigative reporter type, she's actually going to have like some little side quests and stuff of, hey, something weird is going on here. It's going to be an interesting hook for some of the gameplay mechanics from a, from a character and companion perspective. So altogether, you're going to have about a dozen different companions, and all of them, except for Dogmeat and the robot, are going to be romanceable, <laughs> regardless of gender. So the other 10 or so characters, if you like them, go for them. Just watch out for mutations. <laughs> all I know is that I really wish that every time they talk about romancing companions, they stop posting pictures of you and Dogmeat. <laughs> Just, just throwing that out There's there. There's only Every so single... much pro- promotional art to go around, Joe. <laughs> it's always dog meat. <laughs> really, like I'm starting to question you here, Bethesda. I really am. Like, really? I'm okay with it. I think it's funny. All right. And then we also have some stuff coming up for Elder Scrolls Online, Tamriel Unlimited. Have you checked it out at all since it went free to play, Raj? I installed it. <laughs> and I have patched it even, but I have not actually gone in and played, no. In all fairness, that's farther than most games get with you. Yeah. <laughs> but they're talking about how they have content updates planned quarterly. So once every three months they want to be putting out a new content update, I'm going to assume that if it's uh, if you're not subscribed, you're going to have to pay for it. But hey, that's how free-to-play games work, nothing against that. And it's really going to determine the quality of the content that we're getting. They're saying starting off uh, with... Very soon, if not like, imminently, uh, they're adding the Imperial City to the game, as well as the next one uh, later on this year, they're adding the Orcish City of Orsinium. But the really important ones are going to arrive during uh, the first two quarters next year, where each of these two content updates are going to add the Thieves Guild and the Dark Brotherhood. That's when I'm going back to the game. How the hell did they launch an Elder Scrolls game that didn't have yeah. the Thieves Guild and the Dark Brotherhood in the first place? I thought it was in it. I'm not going to lie. It was not a clever launch. Let's I thought it was in it already, and I just expected that I would see it later on as I was leveling kind of thing, and I had not. And then we were, my son and I weren't playing that game anymore for a little while. And so it wasn't until I read this and went, hold the phone. You mean it's not in there now? <laughs> What the hell was I working towards before? Because honestly, if, if if it was blatantly in there that you can just at level one or whatever, go join up on either of those, I would return to the game because both of those justifiably have consistently had the best quests in most games for me, I've found. Yeah, absolutely. I guess my one question for this too is they mentioned that the Tamriel Unlimited is going to have a bunch of the quality of life improvements. So are those only going to be available to the people that subscribe to the updates? I should hope no, not. No. Because if that's the case, I will hurt somebody because no, I no. want to try this game. But if I can't do it the full now, way, I'm going to say this sad. as someone who has not gone back in. So I can't speak to everything about how they're, they're handling it. But from what I'd read and heard initially, 
they're not going the SWOTOR route. They're actually being good about how they're they're trying to get your money. And when they are charging for content, like Vin said, it's justifiable because it mm-hmm. is a free-to-play game. So, yeah, sure. you got to pay for the patch. Same as DC Universe and all of those. I don't content have a problem we'll with that with. at all. Yeah. There's one quality of life update that I know you would be greatly looking forward to, Raj. And that might be the one to get me to try the game again. Fix the fucking inventory. Yeah. <laughs> that inventory is a reason not to play the game. I'm not lying to you. That, that was when I had my realization of why am I still playing this game yep. where I spent at least 45 minutes at the bank, running here, going back to the bank, running there. What am I doing with my life? Yeah. yeah. I, I was sitting there doing very much the same and thinking, I could be doing this on my Vita playing this Gaia if I wanted to. Okay, I don't – if I want to do inventory management, there's other more comfortable ways of doing this in other games. I don't have to do it in this. And traditionally, Elder Scrolls has never had the most inventory. user-friendly inventory systems. But this was just so far beyond what we've seen before. It was infuriating. Yes, it was. Okay, let's move on to something that I – have been so happy about the last few weeks. No kidding. So, so happy. And actually even more. I woke up one morning to like 14 pages of Discord updates. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, I'll put those links in the show notes, folks. If you want to hang out with us in Discord, we're loving that app. I use it a lot. Um, But yeah, I've been playing Hex like crazy now. I'm still opening chests. Again, everybody knows by now how much I love card games. And this was one that I was so excited for. And when it came out, it was really cool to open up all those packs and the cards and to mess around with decks and all that. But the game initially, as expected because it was alpha, was in bad shape. And in some ways, unplayable. And I'd play with my son in games often froze. And we're both kind of would laugh it off and go, it's alpha. Don't worry about it. Let's start back again. But then we kind of stopped playing just because there were a lot, lot of bugs with it. Well, since that time, not only have they resolved a lot of those issues, they have also added in a lot of content and they are even on their third set right now because they understand that despite the fact that they haven't officially released, they still need to keep Every single person that ever tries it, they try to retain them, not just their backers, but anybody who comes along afterwards as well. So they keep releasing the sets as they're introducing content, tournaments, all manner of things. And right now they've released the third set, like I said, Armies of Myth, which is the dumbest name I've heard in a long time, but eh, whatever, the cards are cool. (laughs) I know of a worse one. We'll get to there later. Yeah. They also, (laughs) yeah, tell me about it. They also have introduced some AI, some PVE content, which that's something that we talked about at length when this was first announced on Kickstarter, how they're going to have a very robust PVE content so that if you want to do that by yourself, you can kind of thing, or even group up for what they've introduced now is basically just a trials. They call it the frost ring arena. And there's a mild story behind it and things like that. It's just kind of cute. It's nothing that spectacular, but what it does is it's, it, it gives you the chance to have a, an arena type of event that you are playing each of these different enemies. And it winds up that there's 20 of them. There's four tiers separated by four 
regular NPCs in one boss. And then you can either perfect them all or you have three tries that you can die and then that's it, you're done. With each win, you're getting money. When you beat the bosses, you get some loot as well. I have the, the dungeon crawler tier, so I actually get double, which is freaking awesome. I get <laughs> stuff like crazy when I beat these assholes. And I have to say that much like the events in Hearthstone, which I really enjoy a lot, not because I'm playing against an NPC and not a person, although that's kind of a perk as well, but because they tend to introduce really cool fight mechanics into those mm -hmm. because they can. And that's what this does. Each time you're going up against somebody, it's different. It, they have a different boss uh, or a different mechanic, a hero power, different champions, different gear, different cards. You really have to like, and you don't get to swap out any cards or even the deck as you're playing. Whichever deck you choose has got to beat every one of these different decks. And, and those bosses, like the Princess Cory boss, who is the biggest fucking bitch I've ever seen. <laughs> My God, he's horrible because he randomizes your deck entirely. Whatever you're putting down gets randomized. So it doesn't matter how good you are. It's entirely luck-based. So you might have beaten 15 goddamn straight back-to-back -back or 14 and get to the 15 to that would be the final boss. And you're on your way to getting a perfect thing. And it's Princess Cory and he just RNG beats you up side the head and you get a bad rolling boom you lost that's it anyways it's awesome i've been loving everything about it the auction house works beautifully the, it's up and down every once in a while as they got to tweak it but being somebody who's used the auction house in wow like crazy i'm looking at this going i could work with this this is cool this is this is fine and you can use both the platinum that you buy for money as well as the money that you earn in the game depending on what the person selling chooses to sell it mm -hmm. for, be it platinum or, or gold. All that just to say, it's freaking awesome now. Like I was saying it was good before, but it needed some work because it was an alpha. Now it is not only playable, but I play it pretty much every day. I have it installed on the Mac side on my Mac as well as the PC side, though I can't get to it, the windows on uh, the boot camp. But I also have it on my tablet. So I played on my, my Surface like crazy when we are just sitting down in the living room. It's awesome. And Roger's infectious uh, joy and glee over it has led to not only him playing it like crazy, but me reinstalling and starting to go through the over 100 crates that I have to open <laughs> after spending days recovering my account with thanks to the help of Roger and uh, wonderful, wonderful in-game GMs. Thank you. Uh, so I will be playing very regularly once I'm done opening all my shit. The chests are awesome because um, in the chests, well, A, when you get the chests, uh, the chests are, are just a tip for people who aren't aware of the game again. You open up your pack. In addition to your cards, you also get a chest. Your chest varies in rarity based not just on the pack that you opened, but also just random. So... You can open the chest or you can roll to try to improve it and get more drops from it as well. And that's a hit or miss. Sometimes you get something awesome. Sometimes you waste your money. Yeah. More often than not, you waste your money, but eh, whatever. It's you, gambling. What you earn money by doing more of the arena anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But you can get, typically, that's again, that's where you get your, your equipment from. So if you think again of your champion of the deck, which is very much like your your avatar in an MMO or an RPG, you equip gear on them. 
So now you can put a chess piece, and that chess piece's bonus is that it affects a certain card in a certain way. So now you have six slots that you can fill, each of them changing your deck entirely. So not only have they also introduced a couple of dozen new champions to choose from, but now the equipment that you put on them, from which there are like hundreds to choose from, changes the dynamic of your deck entirely. Like the customization that we're going to come across with these decks is insane. And you're not always going to be able to plan for the same thing all the time. So Joe can play me. And I mean, we can be playing different decks every single time we play Mm -hmm. and have an absolute blast playing it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting this shit kicked out of me by Roger a few times while I learn the ropes. With his unstoppable 12,000 attack coyote, yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, I wasn't even worried about that. What? Li- how much life did you get up to that one time, Roger? That was 12,000 and change. Yeah, 12,000 was... life and change. Now, okay, this is a good story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to tell this, but what the hell? You, you brought it up. It's so good, though. Uh, now, this... We talked him into it. We really twisted his arm on that one. This goes to prove just how awesome this game is and the kind of experiences that you can have. Now, again, for the three people listening who have never heard me before rave about card games, I play a lot of card games. Now, I don't say that to try to sound like a snob, like I always know what I'm doing. Not at all. I'm just saying I have a pretty good idea of what I like and what I don't like. TLDR is addicted. So... When I play Hearthstone now, which I do, I'm not going to slam Hearthstone because I play it and I like it. But when I play it, even when I win, even a, even one of those magical wins that, that you're like, this is impossible and you win, it's like, yes, and you win. And it's fun kind of thing, at least for me. Hex, since coming back and playing now for a few weeks, at least a dozen times I have won and at the end... Regardless of how bad I'm feeling, my arms are in the air or pumping like that kid on the beach. Yes. (laughs) And it's uncontrollable. It's just boom. You're happy and it's great. And I'd had some games where even Tristan would come to to talk to me and wouldn't leave until the game was done because he was watching because they were so (laughs) funny, especially when I was playing against a shin hair deck. And they had enough to wipe the floor with me, but I kept putting them at bay with different cards and I won and it should not have been possible, but it was one of those cheering moments. So I'm playing the other day and I built a new deck. I I used some cards from some other people who were saying, use these if you're going in the arena and they work really well. And I tweeted with a whole bunch of mine and I got to the point now with, with equipment, which I had some, some I bought from the auction house and... And again, you, this is the fun of crafting your deck exactly how you want it. I had to go putting bids on equipment for my deck and waiting and hoping I'd get them. So anyways, I got this deck all worked out. And justifiably, it is a very dangerous deck. And it's purple and white. Purple being the equivalent of Black and Magic, the Gathering, essentially. So I this deck, you gain your life like crazy. Like crazy, there's a whole bunch of cards which keep giving you life. And the game has, much like Magic the Gathering, a life drain system. So you hit them and you get that much life back as well. Well, one of the legendary cards that you can get is 
its strength and its attack are equal to your life. Now, because of the tier that I went in on, I had so many decks to open, I got two of these bad boys in my deck. So because I've kept my deck to just a little over the minimum size, you really, you pretty much always get the deck, the cards that you want. So here I am, I've got this card that I got and I was going up against an opponent and it was initially, it was a tough fight. I was like, I am not coming out of this alive. And then I get this card and I put it down and the AI, if it thinks that, you know, there's no sense going up against something, I'm just going to hold off. It will hold off and keep holding off, but it keeps putting cards down. And so it was, again, I couldn't just go through and kill it. So I finally get this thing out. And so every time I would attack it, it would life drain. So my health would effectively double. And so I would kill one of its creatures. It's not how much life it hit for but sorry it's how much it hit for not how much it actually hit what their health is so i just kept hitting and the life my life kept doubling and doubling when i hit 99 i thought okay that must be the the cap cap. you can't go over 100 and then it was like nearly 200 and i'm going oh shit (laughs) and it just kept jumping. But the bastard kept putting cards out, and it was a boss. And this boss had the ability that it could pay two life and draw a card. And then it had one of its final cards was the card where you gain, it starts off with, I think, three life, and then this card goes back in your deck, and then it's six. So this bastard kept doing that and cranking its life up. And putting cards out, and then I just plow through it with this ninety nine ninety nine two oh eight two oh eight, and so it got to the point where I hit over twelve thousand. The picture I was I put was actually before I, I got even higher. And what I thought was hysterical: a, you just don't worry about your life at that point. <laughs> like, there is nothing this AI can do to me that will kill me. There is a special artifact in the de- in that you can put in a deck, and it creates a sliver card. And if you have five of them out at a time, you can tap them all to deal 10,000 damage. My champion could have taken that and lived on <laughs> and said, is that all you got, buddy? <laughs> so it was just a ridiculous game. And I wound up wa- winning it, of course, but it was... I want it, and it was that cheering, that like, oh my God, that was so beyond epic. And I think I was even talking to Joe, because at one point I'm typing, and I happened to look up, and it was like, holy shit, it's past midnight. I have to go to bed. I'm working (laughs) in the morning. And I haven't had a moment like that for a long time in the game. So you got to give props to them. It's called Hex, folks. You can find it at hextcg.com. I cannot praise this game enough. So moving away from that now... Briefly going to touch on VR, seeing as spent a lot more time on cards than I anticipated. Um, all that just to say, about was, how much I anticipated. Yeah, there was uh, a couple of really good articles that talked both about the Morpheus as well as the Vive, and it was really cool because we're getting a lot more journalists who are being allowed to see these things now and go and test them in different places. So we're getting a lot of different reports now which is what you want. And I I love what I'm hearing. Again, the, the Morpheus, they, they do push it and say that it probably will be extremely successful just because, again, it's 
the buy-in is so easy for it with the PlayStation being the only other thing you have to buy, whereas the other ones you need a PC that's strong enough to run it kind of deal. And the thing with the, the Vive, though, where they were talking about walking around, especially the walking around in that um, that that shipwreck and then seeing the whale go by kind of deal and all that, because I can see that so easily. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm the most excited for, as I've said in the past. So, again, we're not going to touch on it too long. Just, and I know you boys weren't all that excited, but I found those articles super interesting. Yeah, you still don't care. Fine. Let's move on to some Diablo 3. We got oh, some man. a ton oh, boy. of stuff for D3. And I've and it's not even a, like a 3.0 patch. It's a 2.3 patch. But, man, did they ever put a crap load of stuff in here. Joe, I'm going to let you take this. There are so many updates in patch 2.3. It's almost like a brand new damn game. So let's start with the new zone. Runes of Sesheron. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. I don't care. That's what it's being called right now. Uh, it's actually one of those cool little things where a lot of people have been playing while well, we see the same thing over and over and over again. We see the same villains over and over and over again. I mean, that is the point of Diablo, but you want new stuff. Well, we're getting it. It's a frozen wasteland that's going to be brand new for us to explore. And there's going to be brand new enemies, brand new environmental hazards. And there's going to be a whole new section of this specifically based around the lore of the mighty barbarians. Now, the barbarians are one of those races in Diablo or classes that have just been so integral to the entire story that I can't wait to see what they do with this. Yeah. And then we get to do stuff like uh, going to the lost tomb of King Kenai, and uh, that leads us to the next greatest update. Everybody loved the Herodric Cube in, in Diablo 2. It was great. Everybody used it for whether it was storage or crafting awesome storage. stuff. <laughs> Mostly storage. But there's a new cube in town. It is Kenai's Cube. This is actually kind of interesting. Uh, Kanai's Cube lets you do all sorts of random cool things. Uh, you can actually extract legendary powers from legendary items to add to your catalog. Of Cannot in- wait for that. Of enchantments that you can put on other weapons. No, no, they're just passive I'm sorry. skills. Like, yeah, I'm you sorry. have them. They're, that's right. Because it's a uh, <laughs> weapon, armor, anything. Wow. That's ridiculous. You can reforge legendary items. You can completely re-roll the drop of a legendary item. So you're not going to have them just sitting around wasting in your bank if they're useless or or whatever the case is. Uh, you can upgrade rare items. Uh, you can convert set items. That's a huge one. Uh, you can remove level requirements. You can convert gems. And you can convert crafting materials. This is ridiculously powerful and changed the way that you can kit out your character completely. This is going to change builds so much. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Just ridiculous. <laughs> And this has the potential. Some of the some of the ridiculous builds I've been seeing coming off the the beta or not the beta the uh, test round. Oh my god, it's it's ridiculous. And it's what I love about this is that right now, and Roger and I talked about this a little bit when he was running me through a couple things uh, when I was leveling up, is that there's a certain set number of builds currently that are just super powerful, Mm -hmm. and everybody tends to flock to them. This changes that dynamic. This breaks that dynamic. A couple things that I, I really like about this. First of all, do you know the origin of Kanai? I do not. Please enlighten us. Kevin Kanai was an artist working Kevin? on Diablo 3 who passed away last year. Oh, oh yes. I did read this. I remember so that. This now. cube okay. is their memorial to him. He's 
now the literally the most important thing in Diablo. That is amazing. I'm really happy that I remembered that this was based on somebody who passed away because I was going to make a Minions Kevin joke, and I didn't, so I held off. So I'm proud of myself. But on the other hand, the uh, materials you need to pull off all those fancy crafting things, the only way to get them is through the, uh, the Herodric caches that you get for completing all the bounties in an act. And I know, Roger, this was like one of your big sticking points once uh, 2.0 hit, is that pretty much the only thing anybody ever did was run rifts. There was no reason to do anything else in the game. So now this is a very big reason to go and still experience the rest of the game instead of just endlessly running rifts. Actually, the the caches aren't too bad because there's certain things, well, like the Ring of Royal Grunger which mm-hmm. is pretty much a must, although now it's just going to become a trait that you equip. Instead. Yeah, now it's going to be a passive. Yeah, but uh, but no, those are ones that I personally still enjoy doing, but I agree, most people still did just the riffs. It will be nice now, though, to have a lot more running going around for those those uh, different things in the zones, the actual zones. And, and, and also now how they're handling the uh, the the bonus bounties where once you complete a bonus bounty, it'll then move on to another act, so you'll actually... Mm-hmm be able to just bounce around the game without having to reload all the time to get the ones you want. Yep. Yeah, that was actually a big quality of life improvement that I was going to, like, I was going to touch on that, like, adventure modes getting updated to a point where they're trying to make it a little more fun, a little more engaging, a little more fluid, and that's actually really kind of cool. Yeah, like, as soon as they announced patch 2.3, I went, man, I haven't played PC Diablo in a while, because, let's be honest, PC Diablo and console Diablo are pretty much two different games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I started up a season two character, Started up two season two characters. <laughs> I, it's got its hooks back in me again. Season three, you mean? That's See, what's whatever, going yeah, on. whatever the the season, season three, three, yeah, yeah, season three, yeah, because four is going to be coming with this, right? So yeah, we're going to see that soon. So they're they're also doing a ton of updates as well to uh, like the crafting system, uh, so that yeah. it's going to be a little bit easier, a little bit less number crunchy, and a little less grindy, which is I think is really kind of cool. Um, because right now I don't craft shit because it's hard as fuck. So uh, there's going to be a new season's journey, uh, which basically catalogs uh, your adventures through the seasons, which is kind of cool. And uh, you get to unlock new portraits, which, eh, uh, but it's still a nice little thing that they're trying to look at. I now actually for, like it, though. I actually yeah. like it. Not to interrupt, but I, as somebody who's sure. done the season stuff, um, it's it, it gets to be one of those, unless unless you're just trying to balls out, get the highest number that you can kind of thing. It's it's meh whatever and and I stopped because I I'd gotten pretty much the best sets that I could you without could. spending hours upon hours as it was and and if there was a little you know window kind of like for achievements or whatever that said okay you still have these little things that you can go out and do if you wanted to get whatever unlock little things that'd be awesome I, that's really I like that a lot mm-hmm. milestones are definitely good. Um, there's going to be new difficulty settings. I know a bunch of people that I that have been playing this game that I work with that complain about Torment, uh, Torment 6, six is, is not easy. enough. So now you can go all the way up to Torment 10. And I think that's going to be absolutely ridiculous, and I can't wait to see how horrible that is. Can you imagine the uh, elite combinations that you're going to run into on Torment 10? Well, it's not anything worse than you're running into on the higher level greater rifts. So, I mean, the, the difficulty modifier is already in the game. There is just no way to access them outside of greater rifts fair enough 
there's going to be new legendaries and new legendary uh, new oh. set items, which of course, uh, because you have to have the new shinies, and they're doing a combat overhaul too, or at least a, a little bit of a change on it. Uh, with new monsters coming to the game, they're going to be reducing the amount of crowd control in the game. Uh, tougher as monster, basically, it's going to be. You actually right have now, to you, fight things now. Yeah, you have to fight things. Right now, when when this goes back to when Roger and I were were playing, my little wonderful paladin, and I'm always going to call it a paladin, fuck everybody else that tells me it's not, uh, was blinding people trying to stay alive while Roger was just dropping time bubbles that they could do nothing about. Uh, apparently that's going to be a little bit harder now, and I'm actually okay with that. Mm-hmm. It was an awesome build. <laughs> it was an awesome build. <laughs> time bubbles everywhere, and they were all melting while they were inside. Slow motion arrows coming through Matrix style everywhere. <laughs> Giant purple balls of you walk into it, you die. It was awesome. All right. But all in all, it's it's a great set of features. And it's uh, if you haven't picked up Diablo in a while, once this drops, you're gonna, probably going to want it. Yeah, definitely. What about Hearthstone? We got some news, too, about the Grand Tournament. Yeah, let's talk about the shittiest name for an expansion ever. No, it's not just the name. The content, let's be honest. Oh, Nobody <laughs> liked our let, tournament. Let, let me put it this way. Did you like jousting in World of Warcraft? No, okay, that's why. once you're 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 lying to yourself if you say yes, but you get to do it here in Hearthstone because apparently jousting is going to be a thing where you can now play chicken with minions. And that was about it as far as what I got out of that. It's it's one of those weird little things. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I like the idea of having silly expansions. Uh, but, like, the feature change, the mechanic, doesn't seem that cool to me. Um, there are going to be 130 new cards. Uh, there's going to be new minions and new minion types. Uh, there's going to be a lot of cool new features, and I'm sure for the cards alone it's going to be worth it. But I don't want to fucking joust in my card game. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to see it to decide whether or not it's something that I just point blank don't want to buy. But I, my level of interest in this could, could not possibly be any lower. And I like this game still. I still do play it, but man, this is just, I, it holds no interest at all. Have you, have you like even read up on the jousting mechanic at all? No, not the jousting mechanic, so but the they, cards they, I did. They did show it a little bit too. Uh, so for lack of a better term, you, you get, there are certain items that trigger off of it. Um, there's like a, a lance, basically it's an Argent tournament lance because it's all based around the Argent tournament, their most popular content drop ever i'm sure uh where you actually reveal a minion and if you win with that the lance gets a plus one durability um there's armored war horses which give you the ability to charge after you win a joust uh there's a master jouster which is a a five six uh minion that lets you against taunt and divine shield if you win the joust it's sort of like this contingent thing right so it's it's almost like splitting the cards or the decks in half and saying i have the higher card value i get the benefits it's interesting uh in so much that it's completely random and you have no control over it whatsoever yeah i don't like that I, I don't really like that. Uh, that's like the some of the tavern brawls that they've had recently. Some are a lot of fun, but some rely so heavily on RNG that, I mean, there's no strategy involved. It's all RNG. And to me, that's just not fun anymore. I, I'm all right with RNG in a lot of different types of games and whatever. And to a certain degree, of course, in uh, uh, TCG as well. But there's points where it's just too much. Too much. I, yeah. Forget it. This is no longer fun. And I, th- and I think that's the problem. Like this, this expansion, while it could potentially be fun, 
is already, from what I'm seeing, starting to step up to that line. I'm just hoping it doesn't cross it. Yeah. This, again, unless I see differently, this might be one that I don't pick up very much of just because it's not worth it to me. Now, we got some more from uh, Blizzard at Gamescom, and I've been curious to you. I was asking you about that, if there was any kind of other rumors as well. There's going to be, by the time this podcast comes out, the announcement for the next expansion Correct. will be released because that for us is going to be tomorrow. So we're going to be watching that tomorrow and then Joe's going to record a feature on it, which I'm going to edit in seamlessly after we're done talking here. So, but we haven't yet seen it. So we're still relying on some rumors and things like that and other news announcements that came out of Blizzard. They've been busy. Uh, Gamescom has apparently become the new BlizzCon uh, because they're just dropping all sorts of wonderful information. Um, for those that are interested in Heroes of the Storm, I'll start with just some quick little stuff. There's going to be a bunch of new champions coming out and a bunch of new skins. If you like the Diablo Monk, congratulations. It's going to be a playable character with a bunch of cool little skins. Uh, if you like Rexar, Rexar is going to be a thing. And actually, he looks really cool. Uh, visually, it's very stunning. The skins are very cool. Uh, if you like the idea of Sergeant Hammer, which is the tank from StarCraft, well, now he has a Sergeant Doom Hammer skin in which it looks like they ripped things off of Orgrimmar and just put it onto a tank. Uh, Thrall gets new skin, Actually, but kind of whatever. Like I, I, oh, I love Sergeant Doom Hammer. <laughs> the Thrall thing, eh, it's still Thrall, meh. Uh, but everything else I'm seeing for it looks really, really cool. And for those Paladin uh, friends... Uther gets a full set of Judgment Gear as a skin. I know plenty of Paladins are going to be super excited about that. Uh, Tychus has got his wonderful little criminal skin, uh, his penal colony sort of thing. And if you've ever played StarCraft II, that opening sequence in which the prisoner is being loaded up with uh, all the gear and sent out to go die as a Marine, well, that's Tychus, and you get to run around in that skin here. And that's kind of cool. Uh, there's also new mounts that they're showing, including uh, Mathiel's Phantom Mount, which is the giant ghost horse, which is kind of nifty. Uh, looks really, really cool. And you can ride around in a treasure goblin if you want, because I think that's absolutely hysterical looking. So cool stuff there if you're a fan of the Heroes of the Storm. Also, That's, that seems like a bad idea to me, though, because we've been conditioned to kill treasure goblins on site. <laughs> well, you take your life in your own hands sometimes. <laughs> Now, what I was actually really excited about is we got some more Overwatch news. Uh, there's We got a new hero and two new maps that were revealed. The hero is what caught my attention. Uh, he's a new one called Lucio, or Lucio. I can't, they didn't actually pronounce it, at least not that I heard. Uh, but he is this weird, cool combination of, like, Jet Set Radio meets Big Hero 6. Uh, he, run, he uses the power of sound, and he's like a DJ in that sort of uh, weird, awesome audio aspect. But he rolls around on laser inline blades that can actually cause him to go up onto walls and through walls. He can blast people with sound off of things. He can give you a shield buff uh, where he just slams the ground and causes this massive pulse wave uh, that just shields him and his enemies. And uh, he can also heal each other or, or heal everybody by using the awesome power of music. He's just a really cool, fun character. And I think it's really shows off what they're trying to do with Overwatch. If a gorilla with a gun wasn't enough, here you have a cool sound DJ that uses the power of music to heal and buff. And it's just really, really kind of cool. And the visual style is really nifty as well because it's very neon, very pulsy, very uh, electro buzz almost. And I really enjoy that. I like the play on trying to make a support class interesting 
too. Kind oh, yeah. Of give it something different than the norm and a different way to to use those support mechanics. I, I really did that a lot. Well, and they make it more active, too, which is yeah. a lot of problems. A lot of problems with, like, if you ever played Team Fortress 2, you play mm-hmm. as a medic, you're basically just, I'm following somebody, clicking a button, yay. Here you're running up and down walls, you're jumping off of things, you're actually interacting. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, then you have the two new uh, maps, which are Numbani, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and uh, Volskaya. Uh, Volbani is a hybrid point capture and uh, payload map like King's Row. And uh, Volskaya is a straightforward point capture map. It's actually just really cool. The visual style is awesome. One is very much uh, dragons and fantasy, sort of in a high technological with a bunch of trees. And the other one is like just pure dark Kremlin winter of our malcontent. And it's really, really kind of nifty. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see those. I haven't actually. And really, really, really cool stuff. Like the atmosphere of this game just makes me even more excited. And for those that didn't notice, timing with the release of these, if you have a Blizzard launcher, the Overwatch icon is now yeah. on the Blizzard launcher. We're one step closer to getting to play this game, folks. Which immediately caused the entire internet to freak out for 45 seconds this morning. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, not only are we getting a bunch of news like that, we're also getting a bunch of rumors. Now, leading up to the big announcement, all of the devs have been tweeting really cryptic shit for like the last week, whether it's hex codes for color combinations or hinting at like things we haven't seen or things at deep dark. Uh, Crafticus has been really bad about this and just a right bastard with teasing. Everything's leading up to this announcement tomorrow and this could make or break World of Warcraft for them in the next coming years. Well, they're depending down. on what they do with it, because Warlords of Draenor, as I tweeted the other day, was a fantastic set of ideas put together like IKEA furniture with no instructions and extra bits. I will. I would personally argue that that I don't think it was a great idea with great bits. I think that it was flawed from the get go, and the numbers support that actually if you look at the that graph that they have on mmo champions it shows the dips it hasn't been this low since 2005 sure but it also hasn't been this profitable since the game first came out too the dynamic has shifted on that uh to get away from gamescom just a little bit we did just have the the numbers released from blizzard where they talked about their subscribers and profitability not just on their ips uh but on world of warcraft world of warcraft is down to its lowest that it's been since probably 2005 really yeah 2005 and before it's at 5.5 million but interestingly enough it's the most profitable it's been in ever they're making a ton of money off of it and so it's no longer about raw subs it's about services and the wow token and things like that it's an interesting dynamic change but we're going to see what that happens moving forward because when they announce this this wonderful new expansion that i'm sure everybody's going to be going gaga about and wondering about the potential of the future we're going to see if they're going to learn from their mistakes with Warlords of Draenor or if potentially they just kind of keep going down the rabbit hole. Yeah, because the drop in subs, again, when you look at the drop for Warlords, it's insane The like how fast it drops subs. And again, it's one of those things where you don't have to be on social media long looking at hashtags for a while to see the disgust for this expansion overall for a lot of different ways. Yeah. So again, I'll, there were some things that were justifiably really damn cool, but there were, it was overwhelmed by so many flaws, so many issues and the damn 
garrisons. So like it's just a horrible expansion. And I I've got and again, I keep going back, so I know I'll eventually go back, and that's fine. I still enjoy aspects of that. But my excitement level for this is so low, it's unbelievable. Because I I don't have faith in them that they can do right by us for this. Based on that, you know, frat boy mentality and aged ideas of what we should expect from an MMO, that shouldn't be the case anymore. Well, and it's especially damning when you start seeing people like Bashiok leave to go work on Wildstar. Well, NC Soft. Uh, what's that? NC Soft. NC Soft. Yeah. So he's doing all yeah. of the games, not just. He's, doing, he's their head CM or whatever. Yeah, because if I read that too, and I thought just Wildstar, that can't be. And then I saw no. that no, it's all Wildstar. But the point stands, and it's one of those things where they're starting to lose a lot of the vocal talent that really pushes for you know either behalf of the players. So we're going to see what happens. I don't, I'm not saying that this is the death of WoW. But they're on a precipice, and where they go from here is going to be very interesting. And I think what they announce tomorrow is going to be the first steps in that. So make sure you listen and pay attention to my, our social media folks, because we'll, I'm sure I'll be tweeting about it, and I'll have that wonderful feature here on the podcast. As long as it's not fucking orcs. <laughs> I don't want orcs. Give me noggins. Give me anything else. I will, I, will deal, I will deal with an entire goddamn expansion of murlocs as long as it's not a fucking orc. It's no. been a while since we've seen the trolls, man. No. I'll even, even take that. <laughs> you can give me 10 troll instances. I'll we take that need... instead of orcs. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> God, there's so much better that we can do. <laughs> that they can do. Okay, right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks to everybody who listened. The Like I said, stay tuned. There's going to be that feature on the expansion, which we're going to be hearing about in a little bit tomorrow ourselves, and then we're going to go over. You can find the show notes, of course, at For The Lore. You can find the live stream at ForTheLore.com. We didn't live stream this week. Again, that's entirely my fault. And it's because I was so busy with the wedding all weekend. So we'll be back to reasonably normal next week. And you can find us, of course, on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually Joe at Loaders at J Vincent Sabonian and myself at Zen Buddhist. And you can leave us your thoughts on iTunes or Stitcher. And we do have one more thing. We're going to be plugging something for the next little while. And normally I don't do this. We don't do this kind of thing. But this is actually a very good thing. Fantastic for the community as well. Joe's doing a really good thing here. And he's going to be working on a drive to try to get some food to local charities and whatnot. So, Joe, I'm going to let you advertise this. So the event is called Food Machine, and what it is is the largest in the world gathering of gamers to produce food for basically those in need. Uh, It is a game tournament that is based off of the Privateer Press game War Machine and Hordes. Uh, It has the full support of Privateer Press, which includes prizes uh, and rewards that they send not just to some of the events, to all of the events. Uh, All of the supporting games, all of the supporting companies, all the people that make widgets for it, books everything they all come together and they donate to get people basically to entice them to donate food to their local food banks ours in my area tends to be the largest in the world uh we get a bunch of people together in this case we have over a hundred gamers already committed uh to donate and play now it's a little bit complicated and and I'm, i'm sure that i will probably doing a terrible job at this and I apologize. Uh, But the way that it works is you pay in with cans and non-perishable foods that get immediately donated to the food bank of America. Basically it's the feed America program. Uh, That's your entry fee. 
during the games, players can actually purchase cheats, whether it's rerolling dice, uh, forcing opponents to reroll dice, using models that aren't part of their faction, or even rerolling their entire opponent and choosing somebody else from the roster list based entirely upon how many cans or non-perishable food items they donate. This drive last year produced 70,000 cans of food that went to the National Food Bank system. We produced more food in Buffalo, New York from our one event than two major sports teams combined. That's how big this is. This is important to me because I grew up in a situation where my mother went hungry to feed me and my sister. And I made a point to say that if I could ever give back or ever do anything, that I would make sure that those that needed it would have it. This is my opportunity. What I want to do this year is I want to make this the largest food machine that it possibly can be. I want to break that 70,000 cans. So you're going to hear me tweeting about it. You're going to, we're going to be putting up a site that's going to give the details for those. I will be accepting donations on behalf of the Internet. This money is going to go directly to buying cans. Each dollar donated equals three cans of non-perishable food. This is not so I can win a tournament. This is not so I can do anything like that. This is so I can make sure that my donations and that everybody else's donations counts and goes to somewhere good. I'm already in for $100 myself. That's 300 cans of food, and I will be donating more as I can. Roger has also been so gracious to be the very first person to donate to this cause and back it. Uh, As a result, my giant, nasty Mountain King troll has been named Zen in his honor, as he will be bringing Zen during the tournament. I'd also like to give a shout-out to Mocha Raid, a long-term listener of the show and friend, who has also donated as well. There will be more details, and it's going to be a, a few months before this goes live, so there's no rush. But stay tuned. I will be looking for people who want to donate to this cause, and you will be doing a good thing for people that need help. Well, you're doing a good thing by bringing it up. So mm-hmm. we will be putting details up on the site as well. Again, this is this is a very good thing to help a lot of people in need. I want to back this as much as possible. So check the site for the lore. I'll make sure to put some detail on the show notes, and I'll continue to do so as they get further details as well set up on their end. So with that, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. I'm Draenor. Old rivals sought to bring Azeroth to its knees. And while the Iron Tide was quelled... They were but servants of a more ancient foe that has not forgotten our defiance. The vengeance of the burning shadow has come. At Gamescom 2015, Blizzard took the stage to announce their brand new expansion called The Legion. This takes place immediately after the Warlords of Draenor, in which while we were away, the Legion, well, their plans were to come back and invade Azeroth. The Tumas Argeris has been uncovered, and it is now a gateway of incredible power drawing forth the armies of the Legion. To battle this... The players must call upon old allies that were once thought to be enemies. There are a lot of features here. Uh, it's one of those things where I'm going to start listing them out of order, and these are not in the level of importance, just in the level in which they come to me. We get a new hero class, something that a lot of players have been asking for 
10 years. In specific, we get the Demon Hunters. That's right, those trained by Illidan himself. We, turns out, players are going to go and break them free, or they're going to break themselves free, we don't know yet, so that they can come back to the Alliance and the Horde and help us fight the Burning Legion. Well, Demon Hunters sound like they would be a little bit useful in fighting against a horde of demons, or at least I guess. The race is going to be restricted to Elves, so Night Elves for the Alliance and Blood Elves for the Horde, which makes sense. Illidan did train the Elves, the Illidari, uh, and we met them back in Burning Crusade uh, before he went and sent them off. Demon Hunters will have certain things uh, that they have PS version and a tank version. Some of the class features include Spectral Sight, where Demon Hunters are able to see basically the ebb and flow of magic, which allows them to see behind walls and obstacles and things like that. Metamorphosis, in which they turn into the giant hellish forms, which give them all sorts of cool powers, whether it's increased damage or mitigation. Again, they are tank-slash-melee DPS. And they also have the ability to double jump, as well as vault in and out of combat. Uh, basically, it's one of those things where they're going to be probably the most mobile class that we have ever seen. Another big change is the addition of artifact weapons. Something that they're doing this time around is that weapons are not going to drop throughout the game. Instead, during the pre-launch event, that's right, the pre-launch before the expansion ever comes out, when players storm the Tomb of Sargeras and fight against the Legion, you're going to have the ability to pick up the pieces or shattered remains of an iconic weapon of one of the... They're basically called the Mythforge weapons. This includes things like the Ashbringer, Frostmourne Shards, among very among others, like the Doomhammer. Players can then customize it based on their spec, and as they level up, they can purchase new abilities for it, unlock new abilities through what is looks like the old Path of the Titan system, so that anybody who's familiar with Final Fantasy will know that it is basically the Sphere Grid system. The look of it can be customized, color as well as effects, so if you want a fire-sheathed Ashbringer, well, you absolutely can. If you want one that's made out of lightning, you can. Little things like that. Each class and each spec is going to have a different weapon. We don't know them all yet, we only know a handful of them. It's a very interesting concept that allows players to customize a super awesome weapon from Warcraft lore to suit their needs uh, and appearance. Now, a lot of players were worried that they wouldn't be able to transmog over it, as it is something that, if it may not match completely their transmogger, it may not be something they want, or they just don't like the look of it. Not everybody's a fan of Ashbringer. You can, in fact, transmog over the artifact weapons, you just can't transmog the look of the artifact weapons over something else. Like legendaries in a way, but slightly different. It's a cool feature, a lot of players are excited about this, myself included, and I like the idea of not having weapon drops. Instead of weapon drops, you're going to get things that supercharge the weapon, that drop from bosses, raids, dungeons, whatever the case is. These are things that you can socket into it or use to enhance the abilities. Now, this all takes place back on the Broken Isles, and this is where the last vestiges of the original elven race is. This is where we're going to see things like the Burning Legion start to infect uh, going forth from Sargeras' tomb. Lots of cool stuff there. There are also going to be a ton of NPCs. Now, this one a lot of people are a little confused about because we don't have Jaina. It seems like this is something she would be very much interested in. Though, we do have the return of some old classics. My Shadow Song is back, uh, which makes sense because, well, she's the one that tracked Illidan's Storm Rage down and locked his body away on the prison world of Muldon. And I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, so I apologize. 
Uh, it's the demon-infested world in which Sargeras broke off basically every single demon he had ever captured. Now is home of the prison of Illidan's remains, as well as all of the Illidari. She's going to play a part here. She is the warden, and, well, all hell's breaking loose. Go figure. With all the demon hunters running around, I can't tell if she's going to be trying to capture them or trying to help us. Xavius is back. For those of you that don't remember Xavius, he was the prime, not consort, but he was the counselor to Queen Azara. He is also the propagator of the Emerald Nightmare, the dream state that basically infected the Emerald Dream and kept everybody locked into their slumbers and tried to take over the world from there. He has been twisted and malformed, and he is definitely back. As well as that, we will be going into the Emerald Nightmare and the Emerald Dream to try to purge his influence. Andrew and Rin has grown up quite a bit. Uh, he is no longer a child and is actually a full-grown adult. So there's going to be some story there, but we just don't know what it is yet. Tide Mistress Atisha is a newish character. She is one of the handmaidens, essentially, of Queenish Zara, who's going to be leading the Naga into the world to try to help capture whatever objectives or destroy whatever needs to be destroyed. Which is interesting because the Tomb of Sargeras was basically locked away under the seas forever. The only way to get that was to be convince Lord Neptalon basically to peel the waters back. That didn't happen. Instead, in Cataclysm, Queen Ajara kidnapped the wonderful Neptulon, and at least we know that that's partially how the tomb got uncovered. And Tide's mistress acts as basically Queen Ajara's eyes and, and ears on the land. Uh, Jen Grainmane is back and is going to have a very important part in the story. Uh, he is no longer cursed to becoming no more beast than man, so to speak. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's it's kind of interesting because he's one of those characters that he was there for Cataclysm. He was supposed to be the leader of an entire race, but just nothing ever happened with him. It seems like that's no longer the case. There's new characters like Dargle the Underking, who is basically like this weird troglodyte dwarf thing that is under High Mountain that decides to pick a fight. Kagdar is back. Uh, he's taking on the place of Medivh. He, in the original opening cinematic, he's actually the one that goes to Stormwind to warn the king that the Legion has returned. Gul'dan is back. Uh, Gul'dan was defeated at the end of Warlords of Draenor, and if that's a spoiler for you by now, I'm sorry. But when he was defeated, or when uh, Archimon was defeated, he grabbed Gul'dan and pulled him into the Twisting Nether. We find out why later. It's because he was sent to Muldan to free or reactivate the remains of Illidan. We don't know what happens after that, uh, but yeah, that's that's something that's happening. So Gul'dan is going to be a boss that we fight at some point, and he'll be out of places to run. So gratifyingly, we'll be able to kill him. Sylvanas Windrunner is back in a big way. Not only does she have a new character that doesn't have the metal bikini anymore, she actually has pants and armor, uh, although she is still quite the objectified female figure. She is back trying to figure out what to do in a major way for the story. It's kind of interesting because she's trying to save her soul as well as her people. Uh, her undead Valkyr are pretty much not left, and we're, er, there's not a whole lot of them left, so she's going to have to figure that out. And there's cool little things here that we're going to be going to instances that are like the Shield Maidens, the, the living Valkyr, as well as the... Uh, basically the Vrykrul heroes and the Vrykrul demons. There's going to be some story here involving Sylvanas, uh, and I'm not sure if it's going to be the salvation of her own soul or the savior of her race or whatever the case is. It would be very interesting if they find a way to make her living yet still leader of the undead. 
not sure. We're going to have to see what happens there. And of course, Illidan is back. We don't know in what capacity, uh, but he is definitely, definitely back. There's all sorts of cool little features as well. Uh, so we already know about the Broken Isles, the Demon Hunters, and the artifact weapons. Class-specific order halls are something that's going to happen as well. As players unlock this ultimate weapon from wherever their NPC of flavor was, uh, you get access to order halls. Now, this is not like garrisons. These are not things where you send your mission, your followers out to do missions. There's not a whole ton of followers. It's going to be a very focused set of followers that are basically NPCs. Uh, that you send out to find things for you to do, whether they find quests for you to go off into the world and retrieve artifacts or go to a dungeon or whatever the case is. Um, there's going to be a whole new system of dungeons and raids. Uh, it was stated during Gamescom that they realized that they did, in fact, neglect dungeons and that they're trying to do different things with them to give them some love. Uh, this includes things like the Ghost Ship of the Damned of the Rykrul, uh, as well as their version of Valhalla, which we'll be going through. Uh, the Valkyr, again, as well as going to have a centric story there. And then we're going to have the raids, like the Emerald Nightmare. We don't know what else is going to be there yet, because I haven't really talked about it, but there's definitely going to be some love for the raids as well. I'll be interested to see what they do with the dungeons, because with Mythic Dungeons, that's a lot of fun. The Time Walking Dungeons has been a lot of fun. I'll be interested to see what care they give to the current level of dungeons when Legion is released. There will be new world bosses, which they didn't really touch on too much. Uh, the level cap will be raised to 110. There's going to be a revamped PvP progression system. Now, this is actually kind of interesting. They're borrowing from the Paragon system, like in Diablo 3, where you will be able to sort of level up and give yourself some powers through the Paragon system, as opposed to having to have PvP-specific gear and items. Uh, they also talked about an improved transmogrification system. Or actually, I should say, they didn't really talk about it. They crammed it in as a bullet point on the website. Everybody has been hoping for, at least those of us that are fans of Transmog, for a Diablo 3 style level of Transmog, where you unlock a model, you can use that model, and that's the end of it. You don't have to keep it in your banks. There was a statement that said, well, it's going to be something that frees up bag space. And to be perfectly honest, that's a good thing, because at 22 new bag slots per expansion, which is about the average, it's an untenable situation. Your players are never going to have any space. That's something that they're looking at, and I'm hoping that they're going to basically revamp it in the way that it'll make it look like Diablo 3. They're already borrowing the PvP system. Why the hell not? They talk about improved social features just a little bit, talking about making it easier to group and find people, as well as run raids and content and things like that. Uh, and there will be an immediate character boost to level 100. There's a lot of cool new features here that they're talking about. There's a lot of things that they could do right. And from everything we've seen, it looks like this is their apology for Warlords of Draenor. I am cautiously optimistic that they have learned from the mistakes of their past, at least to a certain degree. Whether or not they follow through on their promises here will be yet to be seen, and there is no date for when this is going to be released. But with it being launched, or at least the announcement at Gamescom being done, it is entirely possible that we will see a beta as early as BlizzCon and a release shortly thereafter. Everything we've seen from the game so far in the stills, uh, the environments, and the animations so far seem incredibly polished. You can tell they've been working on this one since Warlords of Draenor, possibly before it even hit the shelves. There's a lot here to really look forward to if you're a World of Warcraft player, if you're a fan, if you're an ex-player. There are something here for for almost everybody. Not everybody's going to be impressed. Not everybody's going to, to be all lovey-dovey about it. But there is potential here. 
this could be possibly their best expansion if they do everything right. There's, again, a lot here. We'll see if they can pull it off. on the brink of destruction. for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.